It was so weird. I guess I felt like a genie. I had no bottom half. That's Emma Cahill. So I was lying on the bed, but I couldn't feel that I was touching the bed. From Cabin Teeley in Dublin. You're lying flat. No pillow under your head, no ability to sit on drink. She's in her late 20s. And I could only drink out of syringes. Um, I couldn't manage uh, a glass of water. Emma's talking about a life-changing moment in 2010. I was being moved with sheets. You know, they couldn't lift and pull anything because that would all pull up my body. It felt devastating to hear that I would never walk again. She had a horse riding accident that left her paralysed from the waist down. I had my parents around me that were nearly more devastated than I was by the whole thing. She was just 21. Um, I mean, I felt, you know, God, why did this happen to me? And, you know, this can't be right and this can't be fair. And, you know, there was the injustice of it all. But at the end of the day, I saw very quickly that mulling it over wasn't going to help me very much. So I made a plan and decided that if anybody was going to overcome this, it was going to be me. I guess I just got on with it. Emma's recovery began with a plan. I set three long-term goals, none of which would be very significant to anybody else. My first one was to drive again. Uh, My second goal was to ride again. And the third goal was to go dancing in high heels. Emma's plan has turned into a remarkable comeback. After the heat wave, this weather is a bit of a disaster. All the ground is going to be greasy and slippy and hard to ride in. And the horses have no rugs on, so they're all soaking wet outside. Five years on from her accident. The horse in the second field, just mind her, she's a lot younger than the other two. Emma's in a field in County Mead. And then Red is the gorgeous orange man at the end. With a horse named Red, who helped her get her life back. 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 Mind. Hey, get back. After the accident for a time, when I was very immobile, it was quite scary. Because I really felt I couldn't get out of the way if anything went wrong. Like this sort of... You know, split-second reaction, you need to be able to move. But now I guess I know horse nature probably better than human nature. And I have a good idea of what to expect. (laughs) So here's Red, sheltering from the rain under a tree. Very happy to have some company. And he'll be looking for goodies. Since she was a child, Emma's had a connection with horses that few people experience. When I'm sitting on a horse, I feel at home. Because I feel much more comfortable in my body when I'm in the saddle than I would walking. There's everything. I mean, there is that feeling of oneness and then there's that frustration when the personality of the horse you're riding doesn't really want to cooperate with you and you're frustrated with yourself that you can't clearly get your message across and get them cooperating but um 
yeah, when it all goes perfectly, there's nothing that makes me happier. The whole body experience. Coming down to a fence, where you look affects your weight and your balance and where the horse looks and how balanced they are. You're looking for a stride. You're going for a bouncy, active canter, so the horse has an upward stride. If they're too long and flat, they're not going to get the pickup for takeoff. But you can adjust your horse to make him go for a bigger stride or a shorter stride. Meet the fence at the right place. Count down that last three, two, two one and pick up. And fly. The morning of my accident, I jumped, uh, I don't know why I'm getting upset about it. Um, I jumped three-year-old stallion. And I, I remember thinking the horse could go to the Olympics. And I'll never forget it. He just was full of talent. He was the last horse I jumped. Ironically, while it was a horse riding accident that caused Emma's injuries, it's her love of horses that's brought her back to the life she has today. Horses have provided the goal to get me into the gym, to get me fighting, to make me forget pain, to make me forget everything else that goes with living with a disability. I will fight to keep horses in my life. Emma's ambition to literally get back up on the horse has not just brought her back to life physically. She knows she has to put aside the past and look to the future. Emma is focused on a dream. Some would say an impossible dream. To qualify for the 2016 Paralympic Games at the end of this summer and ride in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And now a little bit forward, a couple of steps forward. Good. And then a couple of steps back, a little small. It's early summer 2015. Step forward, open light. Not big power, just a little that you're able Kilkenny man James Dwyer, a Paralympian dressage rider and trainer, is helping Emma see if she can realise this dream. Transition and now open light again. Good, so. Dressage is a new sport for me. I rode my very first dressage test in July of 2013. James knows what it takes to become an Olympian. He won bronze with the Irish Para Equestrian Team at London 2012. Really just think a little bit, close your upper thigh in your seat and your fingers together more so than than pulling your, your back. To do a high-performance sport like, like para-equestrian, you need to have the determination. You also need to have talent, but determination goes a long way. That's, that was the main thing that, that struck me, and one of the things I said, I think she's going to make it because of that determination. Okay, so that canter itself was not, it wasn't as good as what you had before. So, so get your nice canter again. Less than 12 months after that first dressage test, Paralympics Ireland recognised me as an athlete for their fast track programme. So the terms were somebody who'd been discovered 
since the Games in London in 2012 and who was most likely to qualify for Rio in 2016. That's it. That's a little small transition as you come to the wall, a little small transition. That's the girl. And as you come to the rail, canter again. Do you believe we've been working on simple changes? Yeah. Unfortunately, our sport is not just about the athlete. There's actually two athletes that are, are involved in, in power dressage. And that is not only the rider, but that is the horse. So to find a horse that has that ability, you can't just hop on a horse like that. So you have to a little bit build yourself up in, in that training. He's very handsome. He is 20 years old, but acts like a four-year-old. He is alert and aware of everything, which makes him very intelligent and stupid at the same time. So just how do you get from being told you'll never walk again? to competing at international level dressage. Emma's accident happened as she was doing the thing she loved most. We don't really know where it came from, but apparently when I was about five, I came home from school and I told my mother that I wanted to ride horses. And she had no idea where I'd picked this up, nobody in my family rode, and I'd never really been exposed to horses. So being a stubborn child, I begged and pleaded. Um, so my mum for my, I think my 10th birthday, got me some riding lessons in the local riding school and she tells me openly now that she was hoping I would be scared off and just get it out of my system because I was so annoying. And she sent me up there telling me that this was a very expensive sport and that we couldn't afford it and this was just a treat as my birthday present and not to expect it all the time. So I went up and I had my first riding lesson and I wasn't scared off and I went up to the owner of the stables and I asked him for a job, explaining that my parents couldn't afford riding lessons. So knowing absolutely nothing about how to work in a stable and look after horses, he hired me to work a Saturday. And I'd work all day in exchange for riding lessons during the week and that's how I got started. So I was the kid who was drawing horses on all her copy books and, you know, reading everything I could get my hands on. When we were in computer class, I was Googling horse whispers and things like that, and it really kept me out of trouble. I went to a public school in a rough area that had really, really good teachers, but the average kids were getting themselves into a lot of trouble, and I was shielded from that because all I cared about was, you know, finishing my homework so I could walk up to the stables and, and ride horses. I wanted to be an equine vet and to become a professional show jumper. I was very ambitious. Um, I did my leaving cert at 16. The joke was that I would live in a caravan with beautiful stables beside it. Um, I didn't really care about a giant house or a mansion or sports cars, but I wanted to be immersed in horses and to have the knowledge to, to care for them when they got injured and um, to, to, to make it my life, really. I love show jumping. Um, I idolised Keen O'Connor when I was in my young teens and um, I wanted to jump bigger. I, I had big aspirations. Yeah, it was definitely a future with horses. I met a friend at a horse show and he's built like a rugby player and I always thought he rode like a sack of potatoes. He, he always looked very heavy and ungainly on a horse and hadn't seen him ride in a while and I ran into him at this show and he was riding really, really well. And I kind of said, what did you do? And he said, oh yeah, a friend of mine, he organised for me to go over to this rider in France and 
he really helped my riding and it's you know it's brilliant and I was just so impressed and I was feeling pretty frustrated with my riding and this seemed like okay this is possible I thought why not give it a go really Eventually, Emma's love of horses took her to France. When I left, I was most regularly jumping only about a metre ten. And, you know, the next step from that is, you know, amateur jumping. And I guess I wanted to bypass that and go into something a little bit more serious. Um, So I thought this guy was going to help me do it and tell me if I was wasting my time or if there was some talent there. My parents and my grandparents and everybody had been fairly generous for my birthday and I was putting ads up around the area to babysit, to do everything I could to earn a little bit of extra money and I had my last month's salary from my job and I pretty much just had cash in an envelope that I needed to pay him and I thought it was going to change everything. I was working, uh, running the yard for him and paying to be there as well. So I think it was described to me that I was sort of paying for the tuition and then working for for my keep. And I got there and it was absolutely in the middle of nowhere. So trying to feed yourself was interesting. I got there in winter time. It was lonely, I was the only staff member there. So I was being kept busy. I got up and I fed and I scooped out and had plenty to ride. I got to jump a couple of horses every day and I was really learning. Uh, There was a nice horse to ride, a little stallion that I was jumping. And my trainer was very good at what he did and his lessons were good. And, you know, the days we jumped, I learned an awful lot. And it was great. I was starting to believe that, you know, there was a future there for me. Part of the work Emma did at the stables in France involved breaking in young horses, getting these breakers used to people riding and controlling them. And then there was this breaker... I didn't like her. She, she'd just been very, very spoiled by her owners. The amount of days she would decide that she wouldn't lead through the yard and she'd stop dead and she'd pull back and, you know, she wouldn't cooperate and, and would just take notions. I, I guess she scared me a little bit. She, she just, I, I didn't have control of her all the time. And my trainer was gone for, I don't know, about a week. And then he came back and I was thrilled. I wanted to, you know, feel worthwhile, get something done. So the first day he gave me a jumping lesson on the little stallion. It went great. We were jumping the big mare. You know, I was enjoying it and working quite hard. Breaking in horses involves keeping them lunged or controlled from the ground on a long rope while they're being tamed. He lunged her one day in side reins where he sort of tied rein, I don't know, it's like a fixed rein between the bit and the side of the saddle. So she felt what it was like to have a contact, like somebody holding her mouth. And she was rearing and she was panicking. She was, I mean, I was so glad he was holding her and I wasn't. That afternoon he said that I would sit up on her and we would see how we got on. And I was going to sit on her in the arena for the first time. Normally we'd just been in the corridors or in the stable yard. And um, so I put my hat on my boots on and sort of lay across her back. And he was holding her on the lunge line. And he walked me around and he sort of said, OK, you can sit up on her. And I don't know if the wind blew or something, but she, she broke into trot. So she started to go jog a bit faster than we had intended with her just walking around. But she seemed to accept my weight on her back moving as she trotted. 
but she she completely panicked and um, she reared straight up. I flopped off the back, and I was I was so winded. I fell smack onto some wet sand, and she was still up there when I hit the ground. So when you are lying in the sand looking up at a horse standing up at full height knowing that she could fall back, your reaction is to try and get out of the way and unfortunately I, I remember trying and just not being able to move. So I sort of just relaxed down into the sand and, and she came on top of me. And the, the first feeling I had was like a, a knife in my back, like it was just this, this indescribable pain. If I'd known she was actually going to come down on top of me, maybe I could have summoned something inside myself. But I remember trying twice to roll onto my side and to get out of the way, and I couldn't. I mean, the the surgeons and the physios were sort of saying, you know, maybe you were already paralysed, maybe you landed on a rock before she landed on top of you, but with the, the burst fracture, um, it w was most likely that it was the horse landing on top of me that, that smashed up my vertebrae. I felt like somebody shoved a knife into the bottom of my back. A knife that was, you know, burning hot and I, I'd never broken a bone so I didn't know what it felt like. It was just this whole new pain. And then very quickly my legs, you know, they just started to burn. It started at the top and moved its way down to my toes and realising I couldn't move my toes just made me panic. And then that burning went cold very quickly. And I went from feeling the wet sand that I was lying on to not really feeling it anymore. And that was just very, very scary. I'll never forget that pain. And then they got me into the ambulance and they started cutting all my gear off and I wouldn't let them cut my riding boots off. It had taken me four years and some help from my godfather to buy them. And I was like, there's a zip on the back, please don't cut them. Um, and they did these neuro checks and they were waiting for the medical to arrive which confirm everything. So they got me into, I think they call it a cage um, or a shell or something, but it's a, something that's designed to immobilize you. So they had me immobilized and then when the medic came they had to take it all apart so she could do her neuro checks and confirm that there was paralysis from the waist down. And then she administered some morphine and to do what she could to make it safe to transport me because I was deemed incredibly unstable. So if you can imagine, they get me into the shell and the one thing that happens with morphine is A, your nose gets really itchy and B, you need to be sick. Well, it makes me feel very sick. So I had to ask somebody to scratch my nose for me um, because I was you know, completely strapped to a board. And then every time I had to be sick while the ambulance was moving, um, they had to lift the entire board so that I didn't choke. Um, which was very scary. <laughs> While lying on the flat of her back in an ambulance, unable to move her legs and speeding through the French countryside en route to hospital, Emma could never have guessed in that moment that she'd meet a horse like Red. And that that day's events would set her on a new journey to become an Irish Paralympian. It's a little over one year before the Rio Paralympic Games and Emma and Red continue to work towards the goal of qualification. So when I first started riding for Red, he had no equipment. Well, I had no equipment for him. 
So he was ridden in the saddle from my pony when I was a kid. So he's grown into having his own dressage saddle and his own equipment that I bring. But with it um, has grown some interesting tastes. So red is ridden in boots that are trimmed in pink. So if you can imagine, that clashes quite royally with the orange. And uh, his dressage bridle, I got it for the horse I was competing last year, is a little bit blingy. He's ridden in patent that's trimmed in white, which again clashes with his beautiful face. So I get a lot of teasing. Emma has been travelling to dressage competitions across Europe and scoring well enough to qualify for Rio. One of his front legs is a little bit misshapen. He's, not, he's an imperfect horse. And as a result, when he trots, he brushes a little bit. So we always put boots on him to protect him, except when he's competing. So I've just put the reins over his neck and we're putting the bridle on here. And he accepts the bit very easily. You just bring it to his lips and he opens his mouth in his own time for you. And I'm slipping it over his ears. He's having a good chew on his tasty bit. Yeah. And then I'm just adjusting the nose bands, which stays nice and loose because he doesn't really need anything severe. The sport of dressage is all about control of the horse. It's known as the highest expression of horse training. In the world of dressage, competition judge Bernie Foley really knows how it works. So the three most important things are dressage are rhythm, relaxation and contact. They're the three basics. Now, coming from me, that's great. It's easy when you're judging, not so easy when you're riding. Easier said than done. Yeah, always. Marks for every movement. And the last four movements are usually multiplied by two. And they are the paces of the horse, the um, submission of the horse, the relaxation, the submission, the, uh, the impulsion of the horse, as in not speed, but the movement of the hind legs, the activity, and then the position of the rider and the effectiveness of the aids is the last mark. Sometimes the walk mark is doubled uh, in a test too, because the walk is very important. It doesn't matter whether the rider is tall, small, fat, thin, you know, or beautiful or not beautiful, but of course the picture coming down the centre line, you know, you, you, you are not affected by whether the rider is tall, small, fat or thin. But obviously, if the picture is of harmony mm. and lightness, it, it's a nice picture. The harmony that's essential to good performance in dressage comes from the rider's relationship with the horse. I have to say, he was the nicest horse I had ever ridden when I first sat up in him. And we've gotten on very well. We're going about three years now. And touch wood, I haven't fallen off yet. There's been no disasters. For Emma, it's a long way from when she was just 21 and being taken by ambulance to a small hospital in rural France. The very first day um, when I was in that tiny hospital on my own, I was sort of on a stretcher in a corridor waiting until tomorrow for them to do something. That was scary because, I mean, I don't actually know if I was in a room or a corridor. All I could see was ceiling tiles. But I would know I was about to be sick and start sort of calling and calling and hoping somebody would come because they'd have to lift the whole shell for me to throw up sideways. And I was lucky that eventually somebody would come through or come and, you know, it wouldn't be too late. But I remember really thinking there, if this is how I go out, this is a really sad way to go. I believe I was there maybe eight hours or something. I don't really know. All I, all I saw was the ceiling tiles. Um, the staff were really nice and the ambulance people stayed quite a while with me because I was on my own. 
I think it was one of the more serious cases they'd seen. And eventually, by the time my parents were notified, they were trying to ring me on my phone. But of course, my whole body was locked in a cage and there was nobody there to answer the phone. And that feeling of having the phone, I mean, it was two feet from my face and I couldn't answer the phone was awful. I mean, it's such a simple thing. And, you know, I'd call a nurse and they'd come back and the call would be gone again. And, you know, eventually we were able to get a call through and speak to my parents. They sounded fairly calm on the phone and my dad was telling me that he was going to get on a plane, he was going to see me tomorrow and he would find out where I was and to keep him posted or whatever. And that, that's all I remember of it, really. The reality of Emma's situation was beginning to sink in. I mean, I knew I couldn't move anything. They tested everything and they were poking me and I couldn't feel it and they were asking me to lift things and wiggle my toes and I couldn't move them. And, you know, I I definitely had these flashes of living in a wheelchair when I was lying in the sand, but it wasn't hitting me. I mean, it was several hours by the time I had an MRI and that they were telling me my back was broken and that I needed surgery and said kind of, okay, fine. And, you know, I was waiting around a lot trying to figure out how long the next move would take because the hospital where I was didn't have an orthopedic unit. So they couldn't do anything. I was kind of on a stretcher in a corridor waiting And then I got into the helicopter with a team of people who were so mesmerised by the view of Paris. Um, I believe Paris is protected airspace, so not many people get to fly over it. And I did get a certain view of the Eiffel Tower um, when I was lying down, but everybody was staring at the window thinking this was absolutely amazing. Every time I was sick, I had to poke one of them. (laughs) You know, hello, I'm over here. (laughs) And um, I arrived then on the helipad into the hospital that did the surgeries and my surgeon was waiting for me and he was like where have you been what have you been doing we've been waiting for you um so they pulled me in and then very quickly I was put under anesthetic and um I woke up in recovery sometime the next morning qualifying for an olympic games isn't an easy task only five years after lying in a hospital bed in paris Emma is pushing hard on the road to Rio. She's driving up to two and a half thousand kilometres a week across Ireland and Europe, scoring as many qualifying points as she possibly can. Oh, hang on, my test is in like 20 minutes. My test is in like 20 minutes and I'm not on the horse, I didn't know that. So do you want a hand to put that on? Yes, please. It's a Dressage Ireland show, so this is the last qualifier for the national championships. So you need to get 63% twice in the year to be able to go. If you ever want to know what Red's thinking, watch his ears. So when they're pointed like this, you have his full attention and he's on high alert. And when he's relaxed, they flop like antenna. He's got big, long ears, so they get really, really relaxed. And it's great when you're in the dressage arena to have that in front of you. So the test I'm about to do next is a level higher than what I do normally. The instructions for a dressage routine sound complicated, especially to the uninitiated. So it says, enter in collected trot at A, at I, halt immobility, salute, proceed in collected trot. These are all the things I have to do to get my points. And then at C, I'm tracking left, between S and V, shoulder in. But Emma's and friend Davina is allowed to call them out to her as she's going through her paces. Half meter, 10 metres, L, S, half pass left. 
Emma's not sure if they've done well enough this time. Um, he had major issues with one end of the arena, so he got very tense and spooked, which will be decimated for, because he didn't complete his movements properly. And then he used that as an excuse to mess, so he came above the bit a lot, didn't go in straight lines, was sort of weaving um, with his hindquarters and just evading work. So I don't think we'll get a very good score for that. But they've done better than expected. I got a bit of a surprise actually um, with the performance we put in. I didn't think we would have the right scores and despite all the marks we threw away, I got 63% in the elementary with a few extra points to spare. And uh, I also got 63% in the power test. It was you know, not our best test. And uh, this time last year, we would have probably been under the 60 mark for the performance like that. So it's either Red was charming the judges and batting his eyelids or we, we've really made some progress. They went from the word fracture to break to burst fracture and it became apparent that it wasn't a tiny little crack, that I'd obliterated an entire vertebrae and everything had collapsed on the nerves and it was very messy down there. Um, I think the surgeon used the words Humpty Dumpty to explain it to me of how broken I had made my back. The first day he went in through my back from behind and he, he said the bone fragments were so small they were like shards of glass. So he was picking out all the, the bone fragments because they were flowing up the bloodstream or whatever and uh, doing damage as they went. So they bring up the nerves and cutting up things higher up. So he was debriding there from behind, and then he put some screws into the vertebrae above and below the one that I broke, and some scaffolding to try and join those together. Um, but there was still a gap in the middle, so all he did was where it had collapsed, where the vertebrae used to be, he created the gap again, and sort of held it together from behind, and cleaned out everything he could from that side. And then they had to wait 10 days before they could go in from the front to try and stabilize on that side. But when he opened me up from the front, one side of his scaffolding had buckled and twisted completely. So even now when I see the x-rays, the, the screws are pointing in different directions. So it was even more unstable than he had planned when he went in the second time. It took forever. I mean, it was a couple of doctors later and she was doing checks of internal things. And she, you know, she said to me how severe my injury was and that upset me more than anything else I kind of went oh my goodness this is really severe I've broken my back and I can't move my legs and I can't feel anything and it would kind of hit you slowly but for a lot of it you 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 weren't really registering you were just coping hour by hour of they would come and do the checks to see if your legs had you know you could feel something or you could move something and you know you'd be waiting for the next dose of painkillers to to shut the pain up and you know, you, you didn't really think that far ahead. I mean, I was aware very quickly when I couldn't move my legs, you know, in the sand. I had a voice in my head sending me pictures of my future life in a wheelchair um, and trying to give me positive pictures, thankfully, of, you know, teaching at the side of the arena and being nice and cosy in blankets. And the funniest one was I had already figured out that I would wear high heels every day because my feet wouldn't hurt. Um, but the reality of it just shifted so much all the time. I don't think I registered it fully. For someone who's suffered such a severe injury, Emma's recovery is nothing short of impressive. Even though her injury hadn't completely severed her spine, her rehab was a long and slow process. 
I was very determined. My physio was amazing. He was really there to help me. As soon as we got a flicker of hope, he really helped me push. And um, we went for it, hell for leather. And I told him that in six months, I wanted to drive again. And that in a year, I wanted to ride again. And um, in three years, that I wanted to be back dancing in my high heels. And I said, I'll even dance with you in my high heels. And he just laughed. And um, he looked quite a lot like Santa Claus. And he told me that I was the Little Mermaid. And it went way, way over my head at the time. I, I really didn't register what he was trying to explain to me. Eventually, regeneration started to happen. You know, when he pushed really hard, there was some sort of connection happening and I was a little bit aware of it. And um, the first muscle that came back was, I never know if it's my adductors or my abductors, but it's the one on the inside of the, the thigh. Um, and he was teasing me, saying it was all those years holding on to demon horses that, um, that, that came back first. So it was just a flicker in one thigh and then the second thigh. So we worked on that every single day. Um, and, you know, he would lift my leg, try and get me to push and fight against him in every way and angle possible to try and get me controlling everything. And if you can remember, I'm still flat on my back so I can barely see what I'm doing. He's just saying, imagine it, imagine you're doing it, push your mind, imagine that you're doing it. And once the thighs started, you know, we got a little bit of movement. Um, the lower legs were much, much slower, but after the, thigh, the adductors or abductors came, then I had the, um, my quads, so my thigh muscles. Um, and from that then we were, you know, all the standing was, I think, strengthening me up as well, making me use my legs, put weight on my legs. And little by little then he was able to put me in splints that um, kept my legs completely poker straight. So they were just stuck in a straight line. And I had enough between my hips and my, my core strength and a Zimmer frame that I could sort of lift them and drag them along and walk that way. Um, so it took ages, but then I was able to walk a little bit with a Zimmer frame and these splints. And through extensive, extensive physio, then we, we little by little, we got things back and we built some carbon fibre replacements for the muscles that haven't come in the lower legs. In just two short years, Emma got to walk again, to drive again, and to ride horses again. But, more than most people, she's had a lot of time to think about the dangers of doing what she loves most. Something people ask me a lot, if I'm crazy to get back on a horse after the accident that I had and the circumstances that I had it. But I've already laid in that hospital bed and had to make peace with how I got there. I was really worried about it happening again. So I researched extensively all the precautions that I needed to take to minimise the risk riding a horse. And it's something I take very, very seriously. Um, for example, when I'm riding, I ride with an air vest. So like if you crash your car, it goes off like an airbag. If I fall off my horse, there's a lanyard plugged into my saddle and it's an outward inflating airbag and it's going to cushion my fall. Now I'm pulling down my stirrups to get ready to get on. So I have special stirrups with magnets in them. And then my boots have a metal plate so I sound like a tap dancer when I walk. And that allows me to keep my stirrups so I don't have the strength in my feet. So you'll see I don't have my splints on at the moment. I don't walk quite as well as I do with them on. I'm a lot more unstable and he's kind of holding me up. I have not ridden in them. I tried once and it made things worse rather than making them easier. 
They don't fit in my boots and they affect my ability to ride. What kind of step? But just for the time that I'm on my on the ground in my riding boots, I'm very, very unstable. So when I first get on, I don't sit straight onto his back, just to give him a chance to adjust to the weight. I plug myself into my airbag. Walk on. Hey, 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 it's fine. It's the end of summer 2015, and although Emma and Red have been scoring enough points to qualify for Rio, there's a problem with Red. And the Irish team explained that Red was fantastic and Red had brought me this far, but Red is 19 now and he's too old for aspirations of Rio and that I would need to be looking for another horse, which was heartbreaking, but true. And until I find a younger and more able horse than the lovely Red, I can't progress. In spite of support from friends, the use of a horse, crowdfunding campaigns, bursaries and some sponsorship, Emma hasn't made it to Rio. But not because she wasn't good enough, but because it's such an expensive sport that without sponsors with deeper pockets, Rio is out of reach. In this sport, to get a proper horse, you need a lot of money. So she needs an advanced horse that knows all the movements, that is a gentleman or a gentlewoman. I mean, these horses cost a lot of money. She needs somebody to give her a horse. I have the height respect for her because, you know, here's the rest of us trying to do everything with everything working. And she's doing it and not everything is working. It isn't realistic for me to get to Rio, but it's, it's a goal that's pushed me beyond the limits of, I think, most normal human beings. So it's, it's served a purpose even if I don't get there. It's May 2016, just two months before the Rio Paralympics. And although Emma won't be going, she has had some good news. So I'm actually getting ready to pack up a little bit. Um, I've been awarded a full scholarship to go off and do a master's in France. So within the next couple of months that'll be starting and I'll be moving abroad. So I will have to put the horses and the competition schedule down for a while. Struggling financially to fund myself, my medical bills, and my competitions. So, this is a really great opportunity to solidify my career and come back with fewer money worries and stronger and fitter and happier. But it's, it's been a great run. It's been three or four years back in the saddle with huge international competitions under my belt, loads and loads of experience, and wonderful support from everybody. So, it's, it's going to be devastating to put it down, but it's, it's such an opportunity. I mean, this is, this is the grown up thing to do for now. Emma will continue to ride out on Red, the horse who helped her back to the life she thought she'd lost. And she hasn't given up on dancing in high heels, nor on future Paralympic glory. I'm hoping to the 2024 Games will happen in Paris. Paris have put in a bid, and I have this dream of riding horses in the gardens of Versailles. And I think that's a very realistic dream to grow your career, to slowly build up experience and a string of horses and to realistically have a shot of competing with pride at an Olympic Games.